Hey, if you think you might be lost because you got lots of new thoughts, I'll be informed. Or if you're feeling like a fool, cause you've been used just like a tool since you were born. Hey, if you're trying to get through life, then friend, I've got some great advice for not growing horns. They say that ignorance is bliss, but if you knew, then you'd be pissed, so get informed. Coming at you live in my bathrobe. It's Convoy O'Clock, baby. <laughs> with a host, Colin Orton, he and his, and with me is... Another host, Al Gropey. Yep. And yep. With, with, with us, us. is a guest. <laughs> Kit Foreman, they, them. And boy, oh boy. So... Um, there's a lot of a uh, hashtag discourse TMCR this week. Uh, remember how there was that trucker convoy in Ottawa? Oh boy, do I! I had actually forgotten about them with all the rest of everything that's been yep. going on globally. So right when that ended, an American one started. What? And they've been, the reason I haven't talked about them on the pod before is because they've been doing a cross-country road trip through the South. And it, it is sort of the, the nature of right-wing protests. The, the way that they compensate for nobody believing in their bullshit is they go somewhere where people won't stand for their bullshit and then make as much noise as visibly as possible. So their trip through the South did not raise really any red flags for a lot of people because they like weren't asked to put on a mask for like 90% of their trip. (laughs) That's kind of funny. (laughs) Unfortunately, they're set to hit DC either today or tomorrow. Um, They've reached the Capitol. Uh, They're gaining numbers and traction as they start to head back like toward areas where the last vestiges of COVID restrictions are still in place. Mm. Even though like COVID restrictions are largely being lifted like across the country um, <clears throat> because we have, uh, and by we, I mean those in power have decided that um, we're just going to feed people to the virus now. Just yeah, forever. Like, don't look at it. Like <laughs> if you don't look at it, it's not there. Right. <laughs> yeah, think of the Dow Jones. That's my approach to viruses. If you just don't look the real casualty of the COVID-19 pandemic has been stock prices, Mm. not a million dead human beings in the United States. No, 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 no. Let alone the rest of the world. But won't somebody think of the small businesses and by small businesses, I mean, massive corporations being traded on the stock market. Guys, guys, corporations are people, too. Legally speaking, (laughs) as far as the First Amendment is concerned, yes, um, they are. Uh, So, yeah, there's a convoy prepped to hit D.C. at some point this weekend. They're organized on a Facebook group with 300,000 members. Wait, so when the convoy... Almost, from CNN, almost. Sorry, 300,000 followers. When a convoy enters a town, like, since you said that they didn't experience much resistance with a mask policy is it literally just that they go places without masks and that is that's basically as far as i can tell and i haven't been following it as closely as i should have been because again they haven't been really doing a lot uh it's been like embarrassingly small member uh, small numbers of right-wingers with uh i mean that too kid but uh, uh, <laughs> uh i saw the eyebrows um embarrassingly small numbers of right-wingers <laughs> driving across the country being joined by people 
when they can. And, you know, so it's been sort of a, a like a weird sideshow to everything else that's going on. Uh, Talia Jane has been doing an incredible uh, coverage of it on their Twitter. Highly recommend you follow it. Uh, they have been detailing it in or, or uh, following it in incredible detail, um, like much more than I could ever vomit out here. But things are poised to get a little aggro because they are going to hit a city now. And actually, uh, Talia tweeted out today. uh, It was like earlier today. uh, There was a, yep. A Tacoma uh, police officer uh, filming the classic video from his squad car. Uh, encouraging other uh, police to sort of let the convoy do their thing because the Democrats are going to try and use this against you, you know, and if they don't, and if the Capitol police are to try and like stop them, uh, he said, quote, conservatives will turn on you and they absolutely should. He ended his little video with let's go, Brandon classic stuff. Uh, By the way, his name is Robert Hollingsworth and he uh, made $109,000 last year working as a Tacoma cop. Tacoma? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, that's that's just a, a cute little addendum. I doubt that uh, Mr. Hollingsworth has an incredible amount of uh, sway over anything, but it's, it's yeah. just, you know, a sign that, remember, I think it was like 84% of cops voted for Trump. Yeah. Uh, me citing a, a, something that I read uh, months ago, but just as oh my god, the number of "Let's Go Brandon." I can't believe that hasn't died down yet. First of all, just it's their second it's so, joke. It's <laughs> fair. It's just so juvenile. Like, how can anyone think that they sound cool while they're saying it? Remember, that the first all- joke was "haha attack helicopter pronouns." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which- I look the first time I saw that joke um, in 2006 I, like, <laughs> misunderstood and thought it was like a joke from within the community and I still <laughs> laugh whenever I see the attack helicopter thing um because like it's kind of a mood sometimes <laughs> I've seen a lot of tiktoks from um trans and non-binary creators kind of reclaiming the attack helicopter joke and just describing one's gender in abstract terms and I'm like yeah. yes <laughs> my gender of the day is creeping existential dread like the attack mm-hmm. helicopter is a mood and so i still just sort of chortle every time every time i see it i just find it shocking that like the 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 one joke that conservatives had for over a decade was haha attack helicopter their pronouns <laughs> like that was it and so Let's Go Brandon is a bold, cutting-edge new addition to the conservative lexicon. But That's yeah, just remember that the Ottawa, uh, the Ottawa convoy, if, if I'm not mistaken, didn't get ticketed until week three of their occupation, which I am pro-protest. Like, do protests. Even if you're a deranged hog, do your First Amendment thing, whatever. It's just like... A little discouraging the the fact that like you know if it was a left wing trucker protest they would have been swept down on with the fucking hammer of God mm. and uh, hogs because they have the sympathy of law enforcement because 
you know, the Venn diagram between hogs and law enforcement is a fucking circle. Uh, you know, they get to kind of operate freely. That and because, you know, the systems that we live under are built to reinforce this sort of thing. Well, and that's the thing, too. It's like you're you're doing these convoys and complaining about masks and COVID restrictions. When, when they're being lifted. <laughs> when they're being lifted. And there are so many other more pressing concerns for small town Americans, for small business owners, for ranchers, for farmers. Like, like there are much bigger fish to fry than whether you have to wear a mask when you go into Dairy Queen. And mm-hmm. the issue that you have chosen to put front and center is really not an issue. It's a straw man. But, you know, tread on me, daddy. Like, we're so worried about masks that we're not worrying about all the other shit that's actually broken and actually affecting the livelihoods and the day-to-day lives of Americans. Well, well, kid, the the fun thing about fascism is that because it is bad, like, it cannot help the lives of most people. Like, the point of the ideology is to make the lives for most people worse, but to make the lives for the already wealthy much better. (laughs) <laughs> and but because that sucks, you instead have to make something. You have to make a puppet show and get people really upset about that. Uh, and usually, those puppets are just you know ethnic minorities. Uh, We're Antifa. Antifa. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, the fascist puppet show, Florida. Oh, uh, uh, this is from Florida. Um, uh, Florida passed on February 24th a, uh, a, a bill that has been nicknamed the Don't Say Gay Bill, uh, which, to quote NPR, quote, prohibits any instruction about sexuality or gender between kindergarten and third grade, quote, or in a manner that is n- not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. Okay. It also, um, uh, again, I'm just reading from the article here, guarantee parents access to their children's education and health records and require that schools notify parents, quote, if there is a change in the student's services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being and the student's ability to provide a safe and supporting, lear- uh, a safe and supportive learning environment for the student. That would be the school's ability to provide said environment. So it's just eroding that barrier, that knowledge barrier between students being able to experiment in public and then hide things from their parents. It's further empowering bigoted parents to be tyrants over their children. And for a party that uh, talks so much about not coddling our kids, um, this is like peak (laughs) coddling. This is like peak overprotective helicopter parent coddling. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, you are preventing your children from learning things that you think might be challenging to their worldview, and so then you assume that that is somehow damaging. And it's, then you take control of that. Like, that's... Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's essentially attempting to guarantee the right to conservative parents of forcing your ideology on your child. Which they already do with great success. Like, you don't need state support to do that. You already have that right to force your views down the throats of the children that live in your home. (laughs) 
There have been walkouts across Florida in, in protest to this bill. And in Texas, oh uh, no! speaking of uh, transphobia and uh, walkouts and student protests, uh, Jeff Younger, uh, who will be in a runoff for the Republican uh, primary for Texas House District 63, uh, visited the University of North Texas, uh, I believe, to, uh, to like speak okay. at the university. Um, he his whole thing is that he, to quote Dallas News, quote, promotes criminalizing sex reassignment surgeries for children. Already not a thing. Uh, funnily enough, uh, that's already like not a thing that happens really. Like those surgeries are performed on adults. Anyway, um, (laughs) a a man who is angry about a thing he made up got yelled at (laughs) by students at a university, uh, at the university of North Texas, uh, Texas, who chanted, fuck you fascist. Uh, he attempted to uh, speak in their classroom and it's deeply funny um, because I've seen several like phone videos from this. So there's not a lot of like corroboration between the phone videos and what is reported by the news. Uh, But it was really funny because one of the videos pointed out uh, that uh, the teacher who screamed like settle down at the students as they chanted, fuck you fascist was also clapping along with their chant. So police were called to protect Mr. Younger uh, from the students uh, who showed up in, this is not like, corroborated but showed up in riot gear according to videos that cl- that purported to be from that day uh and as the police drove away they injured a protester allegedly with their vehicle escorting mr younger younger to safety uh, zero some surprise segueing beautifully from police brutality to police brutality uh, Brett oh. Hankinson, the only officer who was charged uh, with charged with endangerment after murdering Breonna Taylor, uh, has been acquitted of endangering the neighbors. Because remember, uh, he was like in deep shit for endangering Breonna Taylor's neighbors because of the bullets that he missed that mm. traveled into the neighboring apartment. He has since been acquitted. They went through the walls, correct? The bullets? Yeah, yeah. That's what that charge is made for, is yeah, when had, go for reckless it. actions on... Wanton endangerment. Yeah, he had three counts, uh, but he has been acquitted. That, just, that was the case that, like, fully brought me over from, um, like, police need more training to know, like, fuck the police, defund them, we're done. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of attitude within the first responder community about how, like, we're a family. I'm a paramedic for um, listeners who don't know who the fuck I am. Uh, but <laughs> there's there's a lot of attitude within the community about, like, we're, we're a family. We all bleed the same color. And then they shot a fucking EMT in her house while she was asleep and shot into her neighbor's apartments. And that was, like, I remember very clearly, like, a like a flip just switching in my head and going, Oh no, this is not salvageable in any way. Cool. 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 And you, uh, you have spoken to me on several occasions about like the firefighter police EMT, like culture 
the, the, those those things sort of all exist in one collection of that. Yeah, uh, or it's, a, it's like a family. It's a super strong bond, and the way it's even like trained into you, like in school is that it's a family, you all work together and like no arm of this works well without the other arm. And I, I have been very open about the fact that I have been on exactly one scene ever where the presence of a police officer made me feel safer Yep. once uh, in a pretty long career as a paramedic. So, um, hmm. So kind of thinking that, uh, you know, from, from like a baseline training educational standpoint, we need to start dismantling this idea that as firefighters and paramedics, we can't do our jobs without cops. Mm -hmm. If it's any consolation, um, the FBI are still investigating, uh, the Breonna Taylor case, uh, and the justice department is, uh, is currently, uh, poking around, into the departments, uh, like, like the department as a whole, but, uh, yeah, it is the Louisville, uh, police department, but we'll see if the FBI who are famed for prioritizing, uh, racial justice cases, uh, does anything. So Uh. I have, uh, so, oh, a couple other things. Um, William Barr came forward and said that Donald Trump is, quote, responsible in the broad sense of that word, unquote, for January 6th, according Correct. to the Washington Post. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, it seems like Donald's defenders are starting to crumble around him as far as the uh, House committee on January 6th. Uh, like, they, they asserted that Uh, To quote from the Washington Post here, Trump and key allies engaged in potential crimes during their effort to overturn the election by conspiring to defraud the United United States and obstructing an official congressional proceeding. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Trump called uh, Barr's book uh, fake and described Barr, again, I'm just reading from the article here, as, quote, a coward, a big disappointment, and lazy. Um, which I will say the man knows how to double down. Like, uh, is he evil? Sure. Um, like obviously is he like a deeply committed, uh, shit poster? Does he, does he know how to, uh, just spray feces all over the walls of any room that he's in? Absolutely. I have one more story. Speaking of feces all over the walls, Roger Stone. No. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, So Roger Stone is kind of in deep shit right now. What do you do? Because they were filming a documentary in his office during the lead up to January 6th. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? And, um, uh, yeah. What did they catch on uh, According film? to the what? Washington Post, they have 20 hours of footage. Uh, and it showed the following. This is just a bullet point list. Quote, meeting and corresponding with members of a far right militia since indicted for seditious conspiracy over the Capitol riot in January 6th. It's the Oath Keepers. Yeah. Discussing a plan in which Trump would issue a blanket pardon to co-conspirators in an attempt to overturn the election, Senator Ted Cruz and Congressman Jim Jordan among them. 
uh, saying that Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law and close advisor, should be, quote, punished in a way that would leave him, quote, brain dead. Oh, my and God. Suggesting violence against protesters for racial justice would be possible once the election was out of the way. Quote, once there's no more election, Stone reportedly said, there's no reason why we can't mix it up. These people are going to get what they've been asking for. What? So much evidence was just compiled. Um, so the blanket pardon was apparently blocked by Pat Cipollone or Cipollone. I don't know how to fucking pronounce that. Uh, and <laughs> the post quoting Stone said that, that Stone reportedly said, quote, clearly Cipollone fucked everybody. Uh, he, he told somebody and then he texted somebody else, quote, see you in prison. Um, oh my god. I'm sorry, I'm looking up this word. He also, uh, they have one for uh, him when he was uh, uh, like doing PR work for Trump. Quote, our slogan should be, count every legal ballot, Stone was quoted as saying. Much better messaging. Much more positive. Uh, later, later that evening, Trump said, quote, if you count the legal votes, I easily win. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it fucking owns. What did you say, Kit? Uh, I said disgusting. Um, also, I think it's Cipollone. Cipollone? I'm, try- I'm trying to learn Italian. I literally just, I heard that name and I was like, hmm, I'm curious. Sorry, no relevance, tangent. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that- Stone said of Jared Kushner, quote, uh, uh, or, or that he was going to Quote, get a beating. He needs to have a beating and needs to be told this time we're just beating you. Next time we're killing you. Urged to say he was joking, Stone said, no, it isn't joking. Not joking. It's not a joke. He continued to say that Kushner should be, quote, punished in the most brutal possible way and and would be brain dead when I get finished with him. Stone uh, told the filmmakers And this is the last sentence of the fucking article. And I screeched when I read it. Stone said to the filmmakers, quote, obviously, if you use any of that, I'll murder you. (laughs) 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 These motherfuckers are so stupid. They are the dumbest men alive. Like... (laughs) Now, I'm going to repeat a thing I've said a lot on this podcast before. I am a, I believe we shouldn't have prisons. I don't think anyone should be in prison. But the massive amount of evidence that you just compiled, Roger Stone, to put yourself in prison, I, I can only was, think you want to go. He would already be in prison by now except for one Trump pardon. He's already been pardoned once because he was going to be sent for three years for uh, obstructing Congress in the Russia investigation. Oh, my God. <laughs> it really? <laughs> That's it for the news. Just, guys, Roger Stone, huh? The man with the Richard Nixon back tattoo strikes again. The man who rigged the 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 uh, the man responsible for the uh, the the riot that gave Bush his was it his second term his first term I don't remember I was like six at the time uh, <laughs> but uh, the Brooks Brothers riot that's what it was called mm-hmm. he was responsible for stopping the count uh, like twenty years ago too and largely gave us 
at least half of the Bush administration. Gone into depth on the shittiness of this man. Oh, he <laughs> sucks. Oh, he sucks. Uh, also, he got kicked out of the Republican Party for being a swinger. Like, that's what got him. Uh, Not okay. for his many, many crimes. Also, this was in like the late 90s, I think. But he was kicked mm. out of the Republican Party for being a swinger. I think the first time we talked about him on the podcast before I knew his many crimes and you told me that, I was like, hey. <laughs> and then uh, you no, said, well, like, he also did well, this, no, this like, Nixon back tattoo. That's the, like, I'm not anti-swinger. <laughs> I know, we've discussed. <laughs> it's just that the Republicans are. And that's what, like, got him. They were like, no, 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 you can't be a Republican. You're too fun. It's like get um, an old Italian mafia man on for the tax crimes, you know, like if we could get him for something. Oh, gosh. Anyway. (sighs) So that's the news. Um, I love that the last line of that article is an overt death threat to the person holding the camera. This has been the longest news segment we've had in a long time. I'm sorry. Uh, it, it has, fortunately, at least not been me monologuing the whole time. Uh, I will say that that is... relevant to today's discussion as well. Boy, is it. Speaking of today's discussion... <laughs> oh. oh, is that my segue? It's time for me to speak. All right, folks, welcome <laughs> back to... <laughs> I have to be organized? Ah, cripes. Uh, welcome back to Introduction to the Future of the Ecology Movement by Murray Bookchin, uh, published 1993. We discussed, like, the basically last week we discussed the brunt of his thesis statement, basically. And as we discussed it, this was, this is his response to the eco-mystic movement, to the biocentric movements that were arising when this collection of essays was published. Um, this is the introduction to a collection of essays that each touches on different points that he addresses in this article as a whole. And we kind of wanted to do the second episode just to touch on the darker parts of this essay that we didn't get to, like Malthusianism or the uh, complex relationship between biocentrism and abortion or population control. And yeah, so I have to pull up my article and then we can just get into it. If y'all want to just get into it, we're going to just get into it. So just to to start us off right off the bat, Malthusianism, as far as I can tell, is like one of the biggest pillars of like eco-fascist ideology. And it's the idea that uh, population growth is infinite and exponential and there's only so much food. That's generally the growth or the, 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 the sort of bare bones concept of Malthusianism. And part of the reason that I was so excited to talk about this is because in my high school AP human geography class, which is kind of sociology, uh, <laughs> um, we had a whole section on Malthusianism. And it was, as far as I can tell, not critiqued. It was just presented as fact that this is how the world works in our textbook. And um, coming back at it sometime later. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, are you familiar at all with like the general critiques towards Malthusianism or? Uh, I mean, as far as I can tell, uh, or at least in what I have seen brought as a counter argument to Malth- Malthusianism is that as we stand right now, we make enough food to feed everyone. Mm-hmm. 
In fact, we make enough food to feed way more than everyone. We have more food and more capacity to produce food than there are human mouths and will be human mouths for the foreseeable future. The issue is distribution. Because under our current system, where food is not grown to feed people, but instead to generate profit, food is not distributed to every human being. And instead, approximately 8 to 10 million people die of food scarcity-related complications every single year. I saw uh, this very frustrating thing on, I think it was NPR's Instagram a few years ago. Um, And it was pandemic related it was something about the pandemic had so egregiously interrupted the supply chain in idaho that all of this food was just going bad in farmers fields like it wasn't getting harvested or when it was getting harvested it wasn't going to shops and i remember seeing all of these comments from people going well this is a tragedy can it just be given away and it's like, oh, you're so close. You're so close, like to the <laughs> crux of the issue. Like you're almost there. But like this happens every day that food goes bad and is thrown out or is used to feed <coughs> cattle diets that is not good for them or ideal for their growth patterns. Or you know, like all of these things. All of this food is wasted constantly. But because of the pandemic, that waste increased and it finally made the news. And all of these people that had never seen that were going, oh, my God, can't we start a soup kitchen? <laughs> oh, my pearls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's like, but this is happening every single day behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. One of the really yeah. shocking things uh, that I know. I'm sorry, Al. Um, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Forward. I was going to go on a tangent. Uh, oh, um, this really reminded me. I think it was February of last year uh, when Portland had that really bad cold snap. Oh, yeah. And like whole swaths of the city lost power. A Fred Meyer had to throw away hundreds of pounds of food. Mm. Note, they threw it away. They didn't give it to anybody. They threw it away because their refrigerators failed. And instead of giving it to people who could eat it immediately and like it, it could go to feed people, they put it in a dumpster. And then when uh, Portland activists got word of this and started pulling shit out of the dumpster to try and salvage as much as they could and distribute it to people who needed it, Mm -hmm. the police were called Mm -hmm. and the Portland Police Bureau threatened force uh, to prevent people from taking food out of a dumpster that no one else was using. Even though... Under Oregon state law, on private property, on private individual property, when you throw something away, when you take that garbage to the curb, it no longer belongs to you. And the police can pull from your trash to get evidence against you. And so can journalists, which uh, the government of uh, Portland didn't like very much. Um, In spite of that, the Fred Meyer dumpsters... Were protected so that all that food could rot. I did not fucking know that. Corporate double standard, but at least I'm just found a way to. Also, cops acting in a way that is not actually the law as written? Shocking. 
Imagine a society where laws do not, in fact, represent the way that laws are administered because laws are simply written on pieces of paper. And then the people who get to decide what those laws are are armed thugs with the mental and emotional quotient of a fucking turtle. (laughs) Oh, please soundbite that. (laughs) That's actually unfair to turtles. It's probably much more accurate to be like. I don't know, some sort of solitary predator. Let's not get into it. Anyway. Well, I, so long story short, Malthusianism is not really applicable to the modern, to where we've seen the modern day go. And that's largely because of capitalism and industry. Uh, the tangent I was going to go on was just, it's actually related to dumpster diving, uh, was that a lot more people I've seen in communities on the internet, which is a great way to say TikTok and Reddit, uh, <laughs> <laughs> are engaging in finding ways to feed themselves without relying on traditional sources like supermarkets or corporations. And one of those ways is dumpster diving. I've seen a lot of dumpster diving TikToks and like, here's how to sustainably and safely dumpster dive. I've seen a lot of foraging TikToks, which might come with a lot of prepper uh, TikToks that I see, but. I mean, prepping isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as it's community oriented prepping. Yeah. I would say even as things stand right now, Prepping is objectively good and you should do it as long as it is community oriented. And don't buy a three gallon container of spaghetti sauce from Costco and then somehow expect that you're going to get through the whole thing. Looking at my ex-mother-in-law. I need to correct myself real quick because it looks like the Oregon Supreme Court made some choices a couple years ago (laughs) because of newspaper reporters rooting through city officials garbage. Oh my God. Uh, this went to the Supreme Court. Oh my so, God. Can't have journalists you, learning things about you. Yeah. <laughs> so if you leave your garbage, uh, this is from K2. If you leave your garbage and recycling on the curb in a container, you cannot see through and the lid is down. You are the only person that can sift through it. Uh, the Oregon Supreme Court made that decision in 2019 uh, after reporters made some city officials look really bad. So. <laughs> not portland city officials looking bad they've never done that and after 2019 never did it again oh my god they're gonna be putting <laughs> rocks on top of their garbage can <laughs> and the wind doesn't blow it open <laughs> please no what this means is that in theory if the police do not have a warrant they cannot go through your trash so that's the good side of that i guess the portland police Acting without a warrant and in blatant disregard. The The Portland police do not seem like a group of people who would ever violate basic human rights, uh, let alone... is on the floor. Never. That's how low the bar is. It's on the floor. So, yeah, uh, we've already kind of... This is why I made that comment about how easily... Our, our, our current establishment could pivot into eco-fascism because we mm. kind of do it already a little bit with, with uh, distribution, especially because the Pentagon uh, has, according to CNBC, uh, the Pentagon has issued some like papers on, uh, they issued a climate adaptation plan where they are, they are planning to engage in a hotter, drier combat environment in the future 
like they're 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 planning oh tactics in how to fight wars in hot, dry environments. That's horrible. Uh, Objectively. And said that, uh, to quote uh, the key points section of this article, water shortages could become a primary source of friction or conflict between U.S. military overseas and the country uh, and the countries where troops are based. That was already a problem during the initial push into the Middle East, like the initial units that were stationed that were deployed to the middle east didn't have enough fucking water they were having to ration water to troops like drinking water washing water it was all the same water and they had to ration it out like we do so much fucking imperialism you'd think we'd be good at it but we're not like (laughs) (laughs) but of course when you have to uh create workarounds for a problem you refuse to address then we can talk about fighting in hot environments it's while u.s politicians argue over whether or not climate change is real the u.s military industrial complex is already making plans for it Mm -hmm. oh that actually brings me to a quote from the text about uh basically uh marie's response to Everyone say, I didn't want to derail. If anyone had anything to say, don't don't let me interrupt. If anything, you are re-railing us as uh, (laughs) you are bringing us back onto the text. Well, I just, I thought I saw a thought on Kit's tongue and I didn't want to cut them off. But sometimes I see thoughts where there are none, including in my own eyes. Uh, (laughs) uh, So this is just uh, Murray's response, basically, to Malthusianism as a whole and the idea that oh, there are problems with humanity. The, the Basically, the eco-mystic or biocentric position is that Malthusianism is, it, from what we can gather in the text, is like leaning Malthusianism with the idea that like, oh, this is a problem we have with human nature. Like humans are this plague on the planet that- We are the virus. <sighs> um, <laughs> and <laughs> like- <laughs> basically promoting the idea of a virus to take us out like the biocentrist idea is that we are we are and well also uh colin noted to me later after we finished the recording last week when we mentioned that um biocentrics equate all human life with any life including viruses colin pointed out to me later that viruses are not alive it says it in the text i don't know what to it's tell true. you <laughs> viruses cannot move under their own power they're they are technically not like a bacterium is a living thing a virus is a machine it's a bundle of proteins that performs a function and that function is to make more of itself so they're not technically alive but they do the thing that living things do and the only difference is that they can't move under their own power it's really weird uh, so there's that, but in my defense, Mer- Bookchin is the one that wrote Humans and Viruses. <laughs> I true, did not. True. Get dunked uh, so, on, Bookchin. Who knows about things now, huh? Aw, snap. Um, but his response to that is basically, it's not people that are the problem. You can't... In this text, he makes it evident that he does believe there is something that makes humans special, some sort of metaphysical property that like makes humans a special animal in the terms of how they react and interact with their environment. Um, And so he's pointing out in this paragraph, and it is kind of long, I don't know how much of it I'm going to read, but um, he that it's not humans that are the problem, it's capitalism. It is this ideology that we all adhere to that is destroying our relationship with food distribution mainly 
um, but this is on 15. Can anyone who reflects on the realities of a society premised on growth seriously believe that if the world's population were reduced to half or even to a tenth of what it is today, that the market economy would actually reduce its output of goods? That the market competition that drives the present economy would come to a halt? That growth and ecological devastation would cease? That the vast media apparatus that fosters consumerism would disappear? That new markets would not be developed, to use corporate argot, argo, by encouraging people to buy what they do not need, or by increasing armament sales at home and or abroad, or by restarting a cold or hot war to create new jobs and new cemeteries? Mm, I could go on, but... First, Mm -hmm. fucking incredible. What an amazing paragraph. Second, we literally just watched this happen for fucking two years. We saw global capitalism encounter a global pandemic. And instead of choosing to keep people safe, we chose to keep the economy burning at full fucking speed. And now two years in with a million people dead which is in the United States, which is more casualties than Vietnam, the Korean War, World War II, and Afghanistan combined, as far as U.S. casualties and U.S. casualties only, we are, we are now faced with the fact that we're giving up. We're done with COVID. Uh, fuck you if you're immunocompromised. Uh, you should have simply been born with a better immune system uh, die like that. That is the response of our fucking elected officials and yeah, vote well, blue. No matter who does not fucking fix that. Yeah. Well, because we have to, we have to fill our downtowns again, Colin. We have all of these. Won't somebody think of the small businesses. <laughs> Didn't you know that, New York is dead? That's what I keep hearing. It sounds like a really nice place to live right now. Honestly. It hasn't been I, dead like, once since the pandemic started. We got uh, <laughs> rent relief? Yeah, they Never. pulled that shit as quick as fucking possible. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, this, this artificial resource scarcity, and it, it goes for housing, it goes for money, it goes for food, because that's the only way that capitalism can persist is in a condition of scarcity. I got like, I got so worked up that I had to like strip down to my tank top. I'm like roasting in my office here. I'm just too worked up about it. Um, (laughs) Like that's capitalism can only operate in these conditions of scarcity. And when there are not conditions of scarcity, because they're fucking art, because we make too much goddamn food and we build too many buildings, we create this artificial scarcity. We're seeing it right now. And I live in Bend, Oregon, which is like, (laughs) like, one of the more expensive places that one can live in terms of cost of housing and cost of living. Um, it's disgusting. And I don't even get the benefits that you get from like living in, I don't know, a city. Mm -hmm. Um, but the average cost of a new home here just hit, I think it was $750,000. Um, it was four fifty two years ago. Uh, so yeah, so we're just, you know, we're trending on up there, but it's, it's this artificial scarcity. Like you're driving people out, based on an artificial supply and demand that then generates these people going, Oh, well, I need to do, I need to make my tech startup and bend. I need to get this house. I need to do these things. There is no food scarcity. There is no housing scarcity. We have plenty of fucking room for every single houseless person in the United States. If they wanted that shelter, if they chose to be housed, but 
it's artificial scarcity. I just did a quick Google, and there are, according to the uh, the most recent point in time estimate, which was January 2017, there were 553,742 houseless people in the United States. I imagine that the number is actually significantly larger than that, given that that number is from 2017, and also uh, getting houseless people to uh, report their houselessness is, you know, challenging, and of course, you're not going to do that if some rando asks you, hey, are you houseless? You Fuck off. Like, of course not. Um, that being said, there are 17 million empty homes in the United States. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are, you could house, say, even if the number of people experiencing houselessness is triple that, that it was in 2017. It's almost like if our government actually cared. Gave a fuck. <laughs> about human life more than money. <laughs> hmm. That's all. End statement. <laughs> Uh, so I started reading um, the oh god what is it fucking called The Dawn of Everything by David Graeber yes and there is a, uh, a fairly long section pretty early in the book where there's a dialogue between a prominent speaker from the Wendat tribe which was a, a, a like a Huron Algonquin mm. uh, they're a member of the Iroquois uh, or I think the Algonquin Confeder- Confederation and a um, Jesuit missionary. And the Jesuit missionary, basically the job of the Jesuit missionaries is to go to these places, learn the language of the locals and convince them to become Christians and live as Europeans do. And this French guy goes uh, to the Wendat and is like, hey, live like us, you should do this. And this, like, this sort of, he, he became an ambassador and he like went to France, allegedly. It's, people argue over whether or not he existed. It's, anyway, but uh, he basically said to this uh, Jesuit, like, you people live like barbarians. Like, you think I could walk with a bag of silver on my belt and not give it to the first person who asked me for food or shelter? Mm-hmm. You think I could walk with a sword on my hip and not draw it on the first thugs who I see harassing someone because they took food when they needed it? Mm. He's like, you think, uh, what was it? Uh, you think I could spend two hours putting on clothes and makeup to bow and scrape before every man who is higher up in society than me because he has an inheritance? You live like barbarians, like to this um, mm. to this Jesuit missionary, and the missionary didn't have a fucking answer for him. Like, hey. like, and it's yeah, we live like monsters. And uh, again, if our society doesn't change, we will pivot hard into fucking eco-fascism once the scarcity kicks in. Because the fun thing with Malthusianism is when there are quote unquote too many people. Somebody has to decide who's gotta go. And that's exactly what pisses me off so fucking much about this convoy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you're bitching about COVID restrictions that are being lifted as we speak when all around you, people are dying because of the violence of capitalism. But all you can say is, tread on me harder. Capitalism is the way. I'm not going to be no goddamn socialist. Like, get with mm-hmm. the fucking program, my dudes. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. not, I don't think, like, 
it's, it's, I can't dismiss it as stupidity. And it used to be so much easier when I could, you know, when I was like an angry 15 year old punk and I was like, rednecks, whatever. But like, it's not stupidity. It's indoctrination. And that's the most frustrating thing to me about this is like these people on this convoy, they're not stupid. Like they are capable of critical thought. They are capable of thinking through these issues. That's why they're on the convoy in the first place, because they really think they're doing something here, but they've been so heavily indoctrinated by not only capitalism, but then the, the, the scaffolding that we've erected to keep this capitalism in place, no matter what, that like pulling them out of this indoctrination is really fucking difficult. And Trump did it for a lot of people. (laughs) Trump pretty single-handedly booted a bunch of people out of that lifestyle because they took a step back and looked around and went, Oh fuck. (laughs) Are we the baddies? (laughs) Right. Like there's a lot of reformed conservatives now that I'm seeing in more leftist circles in uh, even anti-work in like the anti-work subreddit they're starting to pop up and like yes please (laughs) join us (laughs) shed the shackles of your fucking indoctrination of your dog shit beliefs it's it's deeply frustrating because again it's an ideology uh in that in that dialogue uh this uh indigenous like um intellectual uh which is what the that's what the fucking uh jesuits they're like he's such a he speaks so well and they go on to talk about how like even the least quote-unquote educated of the wendat speak better than most educated frenchmen uh (laughs) because they live in a society where like dialogue is is uh encouraged but um he's like yeah i don't think you should have money it's clearly bad for you and this Frenchman is like, well, wait, if, if we don't have money, how could we have our king? Our king needs money to pay the army. Uh, and we need our army, obviously. And, uh, you know, we need money uh, to protect the clergy and maintain the churches and uh, keep the nobles. Uh, uh, right. And he looks at him and he's like, are you trying to win me over by speaking to me of the plight of your king and your army and your priests? <laughs> like, like, it's fucking awesome. Like I highly recommend that book. Um, and it, it, it ties back loosely to, because again, like mm-hmm. you don't want to paint. Uh, and again, the, the Wendat were one of thousands of indigenous nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their society was not the only uh, pre-Columbian society or mm-hmm. in the case of the Wendat post-Columbian, but like they were not the only society and theirs was not the only way that things were done but it again kind of seems like they did things a lot better than especially the 17th century french (laughs) just to try and rope that back into the text a little bit because you reminded me of something i wanted to touch on i don't know if we're gonna have the time to touch on um Bookshin mentions some uh, some interesting topics about how biocentrism can be used to both support and oppose abortion. And it's like the whole... Uh, it's the virus thing, lives. yeah. Yeah, but it's if all human lives are equal, then isn't the life of a fetus, but at the same time if you believe that the pop were overpopulated wouldn't you it becomes this debate between like the right to life versus the right to uh make choices for the good of the community um but one thing that you reminded me of 
um, with that anecdote that I wanted to touch on was that Bookchin's response basically to the biomystic idea that, oh, we're all just animals and humans are just as much of an animal with a right to life, but a right to die, you know, at the hands of nature as anyone else. And he points out again, his villain, his substitute is it's not humans, it's capitalism. Um, He points out that we, the way that we interact with each other is I have the quote on 12, but I wanted to read a larger paragraph, but I'll just start with the quote on 12 that I had pulled. The ways in which we interact with each other as social beings profoundly influence attitudes we are likely to have towards the natural world. So if we, and it reminded me of your anecdote because they were having a conversation about the way that they behaved and the way that their societies were structured. And simultaneously, if we look at the way that both of the cultures maybe experience the relationship with nature, But uh, there's this paragraph, where is this? Granted, we must deal kindly and for many individuals lovingly with non-human life forms. Granted, too, that wilderness, insofar as this term has meaning nowadays when the biosphere has been irrevocably altered by human action, should be protected, even expanded, and that the integrity of the natural world should be a matter of profound concern. Yet let us not forget that wilderness preservation is an eminently social issue, and its future depends profoundly upon the type of social system as well as the values we develop. Cruelty to human beings, let me add, often goes hand in hand with the neglect of non-human life forms in wild areas, despite Edward Abbey's statement in Desert Solitaire that he would rather kill a man than a snake. I just thought it was interesting because I, Bookchin truly believes in like the human spirit and like that we have this like impact on the environments that we reside in. And that's really the turning point of his thesis for me. And I could be wrong, but that's what I take from it. And yeah, there is like capitalism is cruel, not just to human beings, but to all of the other life forms that it, that it subjugates. I don't have a lot more. Um, That's yeah. Yeah. Kit thoughts. Mm, Yeah. It just, mm, mm. my brain is like, my brain is like an egg frying on the sidewalk. Um, This is your brain on drugs. This is your brain on drugs. This is your brain on ecology. Um, (laughs) No, it just got me thinking about, you know, I was, I was a vegan for two years. I was a vegetarian for like 14 or 15. Um, I lose count. And I'm, I'm slowly migrating back towards a plant-based diet. I did the meat thing for a few years and, but it got, it's just um, thinking about, Colin, like what you said about the subjugation of other species under capitalism and thinking about, um, first off, fuck PETA, all my homies hate PETA, but like thinking about (laughs) the like party lines that they use, you know, about animal rights to live and speciesism and all these things. But the problem is still capitalism. And I've like never really thought about it like that. Um, And so like my inner like 15 year old angry vegan is like screaming right now. Um, <laughs> because the issue is still fucking capital like the factory farms the shitty growing practices the fact that we grow so much food to feed so many fucking cows like it all still <laughs> comes down to capitalism like those artificial scarcities still come down to capitalism um, factory meat practices, the factory meat industry, the dehumanization of workers mm. working in 
the factory meat industry still comes down to fucking capitalism. Oh, your face. Their face right now. Uh, They just landed in their hand with their eyes so wide for the listener. It was it was chef's kiss. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's all fucking capitalism. Do you mind if I read the uh, already (laughs) anti-capitalist? Mm. What was that calling? I'm sorry. Do you mind if I read the uh, the final sentence of the essay? Because I think it it is mm. uh, like a really excellent summary of a lot of the uh, <clears throat> arguments. That, that seems like a great way to wrap it up. Go on. Far from opening our eyes to the sources of present-day environmental problems and bringing the clear light of a naturalistic perspective to their resolution, the biologistic mentality that underpins... Uh, Ecomistics, deep ecologists, population bombers, and sociobiologists pushes us back to the realm of the archaic, to ignorance and superstition, and or to simplistic recipes that extol the past rather than pave the way to a rational and truly ecological future. We cannot reject modernity and embrace tradition here. That's not, we're not in a place where that can happen. The world is a different place now than it even was uh, uh, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Whoops, we're living in the age where humanity has gotten their grubby little fingerprints all over the fucking planet. And uh, it's too late to turn around. Mm-hmm. We have to move forward and ideally in a direction that doesn't see millions of people dead. Something that feels very poignant about this essay and about that last sentence and about what you just said, honestly, is it's kind of like there was a point at which we might have been able to stop interfering, but that point was so long ago that now we have humans will view themselves like egocentrically as the caretakers of the earth. But at this point, we literally have to be because we fucked it up to the point that it's only with our intervention and sustenance, according to Bookchin in this philosophy, that we can even begin to start repairing some of the damage we've done in a positive way. What's that fucking, I think it's in uncle Vanya in that Chekhov play. Uh, there's a character <clears throat> who is an ecologist. Um, mm. He's a doctor, but he's uh, like super passionate about the dangers of deforestation. And he predicts like, you know, if we continue at the current rate of the consumption of lumber, the forests of Siberia will be essentially non-existent by like 1930. Like he's talking about, and he, he like gets really passionate about it. And this is in 1898. Mm -hmm. And people are like, Hmm, capitalism seems like it's destroying the environment really fast. Maybe we should pump the brakes a little bit. No, no. couldn't be. Couldn't be. No, couldn't be. Couldn't be capitalism. Couldn't be capitalism. I got really kind of steamed on that one gang. Uh, mm. I'm sitting here in a tank top because I was getting so hot around the collar that I had to take my shirt off. Yeah, <sighs> ain't that just the way it'd be on this getting informed, a leftist lit podcast? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Um, oh boy, is that who wants to plug their pluggables, Kit? yeah i i have been kit they them and aa pronouns uh i can be found on instagram at kit likes to draw um i'm gonna rebrand at some point so i don't sound like a five-year-old but for now that's where we be uh i can also be found on the podcast uh two pans in a pod we can be found on instagram at two pans podcast yes 
Al? Oh, I was going to make you do it first. Um, I am Al Gropey. My pronouns are currently floating in a void. Um, you can find me on Instagram at al.gros or if I, you know, the, the Wix, the Wix joke, haha, funny, alisongropey.com. <laughs> Colin, who have you been? I have been Colin Orton to him his. You can find me wherever the fuck. You can find this podcast at Lift a Slip Pod. On Twitter, you send us hate mail at gettinginformedpod at gmail.com. Remind me, uh, uh, next time we record, Al, um, somebody sent us a TikTok in an email to the, to the, to the, to the email uh, with no, no body, no subheader, just a loose TikTok link in an email. And no you're probably telling me this now? Yep, because we're going to bring it up next time because it's about Ukraine and I forgot to talk about it. Let's go. Okay, bye.